Hello and welcome back to a special edition of Hayden's Entertainment Hour. Today, we're going to be talking about a brand new Zack Snyder movie. I know a lot of you just grimaced a little bit and got a little upset because the last Zack Snyder movie I talked about was the Snyder Cut. And I know I didn't like the Snyder Cut and people kind of got upset about it, but just hear me out on this one. We'll get into it in a little bit. But yes, the last movie that I saw from Zack Snyder was the Snyder Cut. I actually did a group watch with it with a bunch of people, and then me and Mr. Fahrenheit recorded a podcast for it where we both kind of got equal hate for it. But for the most part, we've moved past that. We've talked about other movies. Dalton has been a recurring guest on this show. He's been one of the few that has come back time and time again, and I really uh, respect and appreciate that. Um, So I'm here to welcome Dalton back. And Dalton, if you'd like to plug your new Zack Snyder video that you're working on today, because it will kind of coincide with what we're talking about a little bit here, uh, feel free to go ahead. Yeah, um, thanks for having me back. Um, uh, the Zack Snyder video is essentially going to be a um, analysis of his filmography, mainly focusing on the films that he's directed, and it's going to be an examination of like whether or not like people treated him too harshly just because um, he didn't do what they wanted to see. So uh, I finished the rough draft for the script today. Uh, It's 21 pages long. It's the longest script that I've created for a video so far. Like the longest that I had up until this point was uh, my 13 page script for my lighthouse video. And that ended up being uh, almost an hour long. So the Snyder video, depending on how long it takes for me to like get through the rough drafts, like get through all the drafts, like and get all the audio recorded, it might end up being over an hour long of just me talking about Snyder and his silly movies. <laughs> well, you're a braver man than most to go back through Zack Snyder's filmography and watch some of his earlier entries. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I'm looking forward to this video. Definitely going to check it out when it comes out. I know a lot of my viewer base has checked out some of your videos from listening. So glad that we can work off each other a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You talked about maybe a Falcon and the Soldier winner. Uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier quickie going up at some point, but I understand you're working on that Snyder Cut for so long right now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but today we're here to talk about the brand new Zack Snyder movie, so we'll get into that. So, Army of the Dead. If you ever saw this little cheesy action movie called Aliens, you would probably know what you're getting into with this movie, because this movie is a lot like Aliens to me. It is a skeleton crew that is going into a zombie-riddled Las Vegas to extract $200 million and split a $50 million cut separate ways. So basically, this movie essentially kind of has that plot line of like Alien, where Alien, they wanted to go and figure out what's going on with this nest here, and then of course the Marines get trapped in there. Well, this movie kind of has a similar tone to that, where they're in there, they're there to get the money, but they're trapped by hordes of dead people. Basically, a zombie formula you have seen all the way back since The Walking Dead was a TV show. Now. What are my spicy thoughts on this new movie, ladies and gentlemen? What is Hayden's thoughts after seeing the Snyder Cut? So, I saw the Snyder Cut and didn't like it. So what are my thoughts on Army of the Dead? I actually am in the middle on this one. I don't hate it, but I don't love it. I think this is just okay to kind of meh forgettable for me. I think that this one has its Zack Snyderisms in it, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But for the most part, I'm just gonna say this one was just okay to meh and kind of forgettable for me. 
And I know that a lot of people are bummed out. I didn't like another Zack Snyder movie, but guys, there's just something about slow motion, man, I'm not sure about. But, uh, Dalton, if you'd like to tell me your thoughts on this movie, because maybe you'll have a more positive ring to it than I will. Um, yeah. Um, I don't remember if I saw it, like, either the day it came out or, like, the day after. But um, I really enjoyed it. Um, from my, from, like, well, I remember, I think this is the second time that Zack Snyder has tried to make a uh, film that's based on a original script that he's come up with. And I'm really happy that um, this one turned out to be really good because uh, Sucker Punch was not. <laughs> well, yeah, I think some people wouldn't be upset with that. Um, but for the most part, yeah. So Army of the Dead, um, I saw the trailers for it. I was intrigued for it a little bit because I was like, okay, well, there's like a zombie tiger and it looks like a zombie princess lady in it. And it looked like it wasn't just going to do straight up walkers like every other zombies property has done. Like, I'm so sick of it just being, oh, look, slow walking zombies that take out these fast paced humans eating them alive. This one has a range to them. I think even video games like The Last of Us have shaped up the zombie formula a little bit. What I like is when movies shape up the zombie formula a little bit, but they keep the zombie formulas in there. Um, but for the most part, what do I want to start positive with this movie? Um, I think it's fun for the most part. Like, it it constantly has this more upbeat, fun tone than kind of what we had in the Snyder Cut. Or most Zack Snyder movies with, like, this dark, dreary tone. Color palettes are washed out. Everything just has to feel so dark in it. But with this one, it's got more of, like, a poppy, colorful kind of cheer. Not, like, a Suicide Squad quality, but, like... It's got more of that Suicide Squad kind of feel like this ragtag team of group that's going in for a suicide mission. It's all poppy and colorful and fun, and it looks like they all enjoy each other as teammates. Like, it's got a more upbeat tone, and I think that kind of works for the movie because there are a lot of kills in the movie that make, like, cheesy little sound effects and stuff, and there are also times in the movie where, like, if a zombie gets killed, it can make, like, a video game-type noise when they die, or just when a character straight up is going against a zombie, they get, like, superhuman strength and they're just punching them to death and stuff, or like shooting them in super cool, like uh, choreographed ways and whatnot. And I think that's what kind of works for this movie is it at least has a funly dark tone that it carries throughout. And I think that's kind of the genius of Zack Snyder a little bit is he can sometimes do that with his movies. But at the same time, I will get into some of my complaints with that a little bit later and how it shifts a little bit. But um, I think you would agree, this is a mostly fun tone movie, darkly fun toned. Yeah, it is. I think um, what this movie does a really good job at is like balancing like it being like more fun, more lighthearted, but like it never loses track of the fact that, yeah, this is a dark movie. And I think uh, Snyder does a really good job at uh, juggling both of these with this film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think another thing, too, that kind of worked out in this movie's favor is that it has enough actors in it with so many different ranges to where you don't get bored. Because I will say, there are some people I know that just straight up don't like Dave Bautista. They don't think Dave Bautista is a great actor, or they just don't think Dave Bautista can do a role outside of Drax. And I get that, because there are times in this movie where it feels like Dave Bautista dips a little bit into like that Vin Diesel territory with his acting. But it's not as bad as Vin, I will say that. But for the most part, um, I think most part Dave Bautista ranges from like okay to that Vin Diesel quality for me. 
Um, I think another actress in the movie that did a really, really good job, and I think she might have been the highlight for me, was uh, Ella Pernell as Kate Ward, who was his daughter. Um, I also thought that Anna de la uh, Reguera as uh, Maria was also very good in the movie. I thought Matthias, um, and I don't know how to say this last name, so forgive me, but Schwehafor uh, as Ludwig, who was the safecracker, did a great job. Uh, Armari Hardwick was very good in the movie. Like, there are just so many uh, variety of different performances in this movie to where you don't get bored with them. And I think that's something that really worked out in Zack Snyder's favor is I was never bored with these characters, but I guess I'll get into, like, how their characters are constructed, but more or less, like, the actors in the role they were in worked really well for, like, the range in this movie. Yeah. Um... I think that's a thing that uh, just having this large selection of characters that you get to follow, it kind of reminded me of uh, Snyder's uh, Dawn of the Dead remake. Yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah. I know I might probably get some flack from some people for saying this, but I actually, um, for the Snyder video, I watched both versions of that movie, and I think I honestly prefer uh, Snyder's because um, like the humans had more interesting arcs to follow in Snyder's version of Dawn of the Dead, whereas with, like, um, the original, like, mainly the main thing I took away from that is, like, the whole, like, the zombies are a metaphor for consumerism, which I only think I would have picked up on because if I had known that going in. But yeah, I think there's, because that Snyder did a really good job establishing, establishing this, like, big cast of characters who's names i cannot for the life of me remember i know that's like a problem that i have with like some of these movies that aren't really established on pre-established characters that it's hard for me to rem keep track of these people's names and all that yeah 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 like um, i literally have the cast like up on like imdb so like i can actually remember who i'm talking about with you <laughs> yeah um so I guess we'll get into the plot a little bit here too because uh, what is the plot when I say it's like aliens so you know how it or aliens so you know how in aliens Ripley basically is being sent back in uh, to investigate the xenomorph hive and she warns the company about how if they go back the xenomorphs are nothing but trouble they wiped out her entire crew and there's nothing to benefit from them well she ends up going with the marines and she's the only one that knows more than they do which of course uh, is the coyote character in the movie um Lily, uh, she's basically that Ellen Ripley character where she knows everything about anything in the zone and the rest of them just kind of feel like those Marines and aliens to where they're just like, oh, well, what does she know? We're, uh, you know, badasses with guns. We can take these things out. But guess what? As the movie slowly goes on, they are the ones that slowly die off while she continues to live knowing like how to trade with another zombie what types of zombies are in the zone how to make sure they don't wake a certain type of zombie basically she has all the clues to keep surviving in this zone and she felt like an ellen ripley character to me even if there is a different ending for her character than what like ellen ripley got in aliens but uh the plot basically is kind of nice for the most part because we get the very quick setup in i believe 10 minutes where uh tanaka comes in and he requests him to get a skeleton crew together to go and rob that 200 million dollars from within las vegas they go in there and they all three kind of split into separate groups in this movie a little bit like Dave Batista, his daughter, uh, Lily the Tracker, and I believe his name was Martin go off at one point in the movie. Yeah, um, it was Martin, I think. Yeah, and then Ludwig, 
and uh, Vanderho or Van as they called him end up uh, trying to crack the safe and they're like bringing in zombies one by one to like test the booby traps um, then uh, Tig Notaro who played the pilot um, is up on the roof trying to get it together obviously and then uh, the other set of characters in the movie I'm trying to think there was a third group I know that um, I think it was Mikey was that it was that his name he was the one with like the blonde hair yeah, fiance is yeah okay and then he's off doing his own thing but like they split into their little groups we have three little plot lines with them but then the plot essentially is like they get the money and then it just becomes a matter of survival and so if you don't like plots that kind of de-hinge into just survive and get out of the zone this may not be a movie for you but i'm fine with that because i feel like it works for this movie in a way because when you get your money how are you going to get out your entire instincts just go to survive and i feel like that's more of a realistic scenario to be in um but for the most part i feel like the plot not really being there as it dips into the second and third act is completely fine for a movie like this like you could argue alien loses its plot towards the second and third act and just becomes these characters need to survive and get off the planet mm-hmm. yeah well i so like what initially intrigued me about the premise of this movie was that it was pretty much just like a heist that was happening in the middle of the zombie apocalypse and so um i think it's interesting that like you know in most heist movies like um the plot is well you see like uh the heist it's going perfectly but oh no something's going wrong and now all the characters need to get out whereas in like this movie like the heist is like the thing that goes wrong with the heist is oops it's not that like uh there is a double cross where like oh the, a member of the team uh doesn't do their job correctly or is working for another person and uh they have to get away before security could show up it's that um they get screwed over by like the plant the corporate plant who's like fucking with the zombies and so now like the penalty of them like failing to get away isn't that they're going to be uh going to jail it's that they're probably going to get killed i think that gives uh, the movie like much higher stakes than like mm-hmm. in a typical heist movie yeah um i think that's yeah an intriguing part is the money aspect of it too um because i don't think a lot of people really uh care for zombie i would say productions anymore like zombie shows and stuff like let's look at the walking dead for example it's died off Complete, I cannot name you a single person that I know that watches the show anymore. I don't know if you can name anyone that watches the show anymore. Hmm. I don't think I've ever, like, I've never had that much interest to check out the show. Like, I've read some of the comics. The most mm-hmm. I've gotten from people about the show is just, just watch the first season and don't check anything else out. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing for me a little bit. It's like, I've kind of sat here and accepted the fact like, okay, shows like The Walking Dead are past their prime. Even like their zombie video games that still come out that kind of have the same repetitive formula. Uh, Certain like networks across overseas are trying to put on their own zombie shows and stuff. Like just so many things are trying to keep zombies alive, but we're just so sick of the formula. And I think one thing Zack Snyder does, because he's kind of like George Lucas for me a little bit, he's a very good creative guy. He will come up with a creative scenario. This movie is very creative. It is a zombie bank heist movie, essentially, but without a bank, a big casino that they can go into and rob. And they have to figure out how to get out of this said casino before a nuke comes in. That's a fun mesh of ideas that comes together. You don't see that very often in most zombie properties. 
Like, sure, you could say maybe Zombieland maybe had an idea for it a little bit or something like that. But what this movie has, like we've kind of... It has a twist on zombies a little bit, which will kind of get into the types a little bit, I feel like. Uh, mm -hmm. It's got a twist with the aliens-type skeleton plot that it has going for it, and it has a mostly fun, dark tone for it. And I think these things shape up to kind of help the movie in a way, but I'll get into my complaints a little bit after this. Um, but for the most part... I feel like this is the solid things that holds this movie together. Yeah. I think uh, something that's interesting is like, I know that you have uh, keep comparing it to Aliens. Like, I didn't really get that from the movie, but like I can see where you're coming from with how you're explaining it. Something mm -hmm. that I noticed when I was watching the movie is that I saw some parallels to like Inception, even though they were pretty small. Like kind of like you have like the Asian businessman contacting like Americans to do a job for him that he can't handle on his own. And so like you have like and then there's also like the weird little subplot of like uh, the group coming across like the remains of like other groups that um, have gone into the casino and failed and they're just dead. And then they're like, oh, and then some of them theorize like, oh, what? What if um, this is just happening over and over and over again, and we're starting and we're in an infinite loop? Like, I didn't think that like that was actually going to be like a thing in the movie, but I think that was like an interesting little side beat of them just like kind of like taking like a little dig and Inception or like that type of like super complex formula. Yeah, but it was an interesting little side plot. Yeah. Uh, so for the most part, I guess, uh, to quickly go over zombie types, so they're shiners, which essentially are like mostly dead zombies, but when it rains, they kind of revive a little bit from what Lily tells us. Then there is the queen zombie and the king zombie of the movie, which I'll get into a little bit later. Um, but they, I guess, controlled the zombie hordes. Then they're kind of like your runner zombies. There are your hibernating zombies. Uh, there's zombies that kind of think on their own a little bit. They have smarter intellect and stuff, but like there's a there's a neat little inversion and twist to some zombies. But the biggest was the zombie tiger. I think a lot of people pointed out from the trailers because that looked pretty neat. I mean, CG was iffy sometimes on it, but that that's a neat concept. How often do you get to see a zombie tiger? I don't think I can, I've ever heard of that. Like, I don't think I saw any trailers because the zombie tiger took me completely by surprise. But something it did remind me of, like, I've not, like, seen too much of the later seasons of Game of Thrones, but I remember, like, seeing, like, in, like, um, I think Ralph the Movie Maker's, like, video discussing it of, in the behind the scenes, the creators are like, well, we gotta put a zombie polar bear in the show, but there's, like, there's no substance to that other than they just wanted a zombie polar bear in the show, but, like... Yeah. The tiger has a reason for existing like uh someone in the in the las vegas strip owned the tiger and then the tiger got infected which is which is an interesting thing because like a lot of times in these zombie scenario type things like the animals are immune or like the zombies don't go after the animals and stuff like that and i think that was an interesting twist on top of everything else and also something you also didn't mention is that there is a zombie horse in the movie too, which I I just assume is like a police horse or something like that. But that was cool to see too. Yeah, that was cool to see. Um, 
So I guess with all the praises, um, I guess I'll get into the cynical side of me. So uh, characterization, which I know people are so sick of me talking about. Um, so I want to talk about some things in this movie a little bit with the characters, because essentially what I think Zack Snyder has done well and perfected is he can make his movies a lot of fun, but character motivations for me or like getting into these characters a little bit have always been super iffy for me and how they're written. So I'm going to start with Dave Bautista and his daughter a little bit. So at one point in the movie, it kind of talks a little bit about how like Dave Bautista and his daughter grew distant because the uh, zombie wife of uh, Dave Bautista and obviously the mother of his daughter uh, was zombified and he had to kill her. And then it's kind of implied like, oh, she was mad at him for that. And she didn't want to talk to him or like reconnect with him and stuff. And they just went their separate ways. But then halfway through the movie, it turns out that like, hey, that's not even the reason. She's just mad that he never decided to console her after. And I'm like, seriously, dude, as a daughter or as a father, you never thought about like consoling your daughter over something like this. Like that's pretty traumatic for her to walk in on. And then as the movie goes on, they just bond and become buddy buddy after that pretty much. And I was like, okay, this somewhat works. But on another basis, I'm just kind of like, I don't know if I buy this growth because it felt sort of like, here's the conflict. Here's the very quick resolution where the misunderstanding has been resolved. And then they kind of are lovey-dovey towards the ending. And I was like, okay, I get it. It's supposed to be a nice growth and stuff. But for the most part, I didn't buy it. Now, the next character I want to get into is Martin, who is the guy that works for Mr. Takamano and goes in there. And essentially, I thought at first was like, okay, so he's just going to be like uh, the generic, like almost dude bro cool character. He's wearing shades and stuff. He's going around. But then he has this underlying plot to actually just extract the zombie head of the queen because he can sell it to the government and stuff, or he could sell it on the black market and stuff, and it'll make him more money than whatever is in the bank vault. So he just becomes generic bad guy in a twist. And I was like, all right, I don't know if I buy this character's turn because I get it. There was like maybe some build up to it, but I felt like it was kind of like very quickly written. But the biggest one that bugged me so much in the movie, and I know I'm going to be super cynical about this one, is when Dave Bautista's love interest, quote, tells him in the third act, I love you, and I came on this trip for you, and I'm like, lady, where is this coming from? This just kind of feels out of left field to me. <laughs> and then she very comically gets her neck snapped in a very poor, uh, poorly CG fashion, and then Dave Bautista goes into psycho mode and starts murdering zombies with his hands. And I was like, but dude, did you ever feel love for her? Because you were kind of caught off guard yourself. So there are a lot of characters in the movie that are just kind of willy-nilly for me. The only ones I thought that worked because they were the most underwritten and felt like the most carefree ones were the safe cracker, Van, and uh, the one guy that lost his wife at the beginning. I thought they were the uh, most solid three characters. Yeah, I can't think of his name. Guzman? I Guzman. Think that's yeah, name. Guzman's his name. Uh, I thought they were the most solid three characters because of how little characterization got, but the main ones we focused on either felt too quickly rushed in their characterization or just kind of felt very formulaic and underwritten. And I think that's kind of the biggest issue is, like I said, Zack Snyder is a great creative guy. I think he's got great ideas. It just, when it comes to the characters, characterization and motivations, it's becoming iffy for me. So I guess your take on this. So yeah, um, I guess I'll just start with like responding to um, your uh, thoughts on the characters. I think, um, I think it, uh, Dave Bautista's um, relationship with like his daughter and like the love interest, it was an interesting twist, like especially for Snyder because like um, 
and a lot of his movies you know uh the male the male protagonist is usually uh rewarded for like doing these like loner stuff like oh i'm so tortured and tormented i need to go off and do my manly man things and all that you know but like um and yeah you can see that like uh, him having to kill his wife uh did traumatize him it's like um the like manly brooding type thing is like it is a part of him but there also is probably like some underlying trauma of having to kill his own wife i i know that um there's like a throwaway throwaway line when he's talking to his daughter like the reason why he uh didn't try to connect with her afterwards is because she reminded him of his wife too much or something something yeah. along those lines um and I think it was interesting that like this guy that like he could have reconnected with his daughter like he could have like gotten married to that love interest I think like uh right before she dies she implies about like getting married to someone else or something like that a little like, bit yeah I like think it's another throwaway line. yeah like it's interesting that like Snyder like essentially is going against like a lot of his own formulas in this movie and like one way that he does that is that the male character is punished for like doing his own manly man thing because like he could have reconnected to, to his daughter like he could have gotten married to this love interest but he just didn't put in the effort into doing it he it was just easier for him to go off and brood and yeah and i i guess i want to tap into that a little bit it's a little strange for him to kind of just you know leave his daughter behind and never talk about it and i think that was kind of one thing that itched at me a little bit as i was like well dude you're a father figure i get it you went through like a very traumatic thing of killing your wife and then your wife reminded like you were reminded of your wife so much through her but you've still got to be a father in that scenario and i know there have been like other properties like this like First, famously, when Kylo Ren turns, Han Solo goes off and just starts smuggling again. He wants nothing to do with his son. And then he has like that one moment of reconciliation before he dies. And that was like a big issue for me. Um, but that's kind of the same vibe I'm getting here a little bit is like these types of movies that are coming out with this kind of like, uh, I guess, like parent and uh, child dynamic that's going on. It kind of feels like it's always being written as, oh, let's address it later down the line rather than like as soon as we can, which is why in the movie it was hard for me to buy her very quick, like, oh, I love you again, dad and stuff. And I get it. There's like that uh, parent-child connection and stuff like you don't want to see your uh, parent die horrifically or anything like that, or you care for your child's health and safety. But like, it's hard for me to buy that growth when he just straight up like disconnects with her from so many years and goes off to start making burgers. And I was like, <laughs> I, I don't know about this. See, this is like the slippery slope with Zack Snyder and why it's hard for me to buy some of his narratives. Mm -hmm. But well, no, yeah. continue. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah. Um... Well, you know, at least uh, you aren't complaining that you don't like it because it's not the version from the comics or something dumb like that. I know, yeah. <laughs> I could I could be a comic stan, but like I'd just be stupid at that point trying to complain about it. Um, yeah, I don't really have any more thoughts on Scott Ward. I do think it was interesting like how um, it built up this happy end for him, but then it just pulls the rug out from under your feet yeah i'll get I mean, into that a little bit yeah, later it, <laughs> i think it worked for me like I, I think it worked for me it doesn't sound like it worked for you but that's all right i don't know yeah 
which you know i'll get into that a little bit later because like i said this had a mostly fun upbeat tone for me and we're gonna get into where that kind of shifts a little bit as we go on with this um but i guess did you want to talk a little bit about uh martin Martin. yeah martin yeah i think it's weird that you describe him as a twist villain like the movie like almost immediately calls him out on it like in like the scene after where they uh, offer up that one security guard to the zombies as a gift, like they immediately uh, like draw attention to the fact that, yeah, this guy has a corporate plant. We should probably uh, get him killed next. Yeah. And like, like in I think mainly the twist about him is is that um, when he's introduced in the film and like when he's like going around in the movie at first, you think he's a lot more bumbling. Than he actually ends up being yeah i well i may have worded it wrong so when i say twist villain i thought it was because like his motivation was i'm gonna take the head and sell it because while he did mention like oh mr uh takamoto would take this obviously and stuff it was kind of implied he was gonna run off with it and sell it which was interesting to me um because you know usually most goons would be like i gotta give this back to my boss but it felt like oh okay so he's just gonna go off and do his own thing with it um, and then, of course, Martin's little arc there is short-lived because uh, the very cool zombie tiger has a few things to munch on. Um, yeah. But for the most part, it's like Martin is just a weird character to me because when you do have, like, the villain tendencies with him and you know he's going to be a villain, it's like, just get to it already. And I guess his motivation was at least a little different, but just, like, I'm tired of these just villain characters existing for the sake of kind of being a villain in that way. It's just, like, I wanted more get it there were so many damn characters in this movie it's very hard to flesh them out yeah especially since like this type of characters like you see them all the time and like i know that like there's probably at least one in every single jurassic park movie yeah that's ever been made yeah like you'd think that they would start to learn like after the first couple of times not to try to do this well in the latest one you gotta remember they tried to sell them on the black market as weapons so I guess that was a little different. I guess, yeah. They are are literally predators. They will eat you because you physically cannot cage them. But yeah, yeah, that's kind of the thing with this movie, or this movie a little bit. Um, But I guess uh, then, did you want to touch on the fun characters in the movie I talked about a little bit? I guess, like, just to close on Martin, I do, I think the thing that I liked the most about him was, like, his death scene like mirror mirrors what he does to the queen because like you know the tiger paralyzes him so he can't get away and then it just like bites off his head like yeah he doesn't even give martin the satisfaction of becoming zombified he just mauls him to death yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um but yeah i i agree with that it was a nice little like hey you did this earlier in the movie now we're gonna symbolize it here with what the tiger does that was nice um yeah Zack snyder is really good at doing like small little details like that yeah i know that like um i think the one that people probably know the most is like that scene in man of steel where he goes into the church and he's sitting in front of um the stained glass window of jesus and you know (laughs) the symbolism like you know i know that and i know the only reason why that most people know about that is because like every single movie reviewer draws attention to that like it's if you didn't know that going in like you could see that as like a nice little detail or like something else similar to that it's like in uh zack snyder's dawn of the dead like it opens up with like the 
with like the nurse like trying to leave her shift as like the first people with cases of the zombie bites are coming in like they don't draw attention to it but like if you pay attention like you can hear them talking about it in the background and stuff like that yeah like he's really good at sneaking in those small details sometimes you know they go under people's radar sometimes they don't if they're too obvious or like they're ones that people like know to look out for but yeah i guess i can move on to like the more fun characters in the movie um okay i know that like um deer the safe cracker guy like he's getting his own prequel movie like like i think they finished filming this before like this one was done or something like that oh really yeah i like saw on like the wikipedia page for the uh, army of the dead like they already have his movie done i think it's in like a uh, post-production or something like that right now but um you know it's a little little overconfident that you're immediately making a spin-off movie before uh, the main movie hasn't even hit the public but yeah i think uh he was an interesting character that i guess that he deserves to have his own kind of prequel movie I know that uh, Snyder's also releasing like an animated TV series that follows a lot of characters in like that time period we see at the beginning of like the initial outbreak of the zombies in Las Vegas, which will be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah, they did mention there'd be some spinoffs from this. Um, yeah, so to give the Safecracker spinoff was kind of a bold choice because that's like assuming like audiences don't fall in love with Van or they don't fall in love with Maria or like uh, they don't fall in love with uh, Guzman or something like that. Like there's just a lot of assumptions that are writing on giving him a spinoff movie. Um, but his character is fun because he does start off as like the shy lot in this movie and like he doesn't even know how to use a gun or like he doesn't know how to kill a zombie but he does have that growth and little arc a little bit to finally where he sacrifices himself to save van and throw him in the safe obviously which i thought that was nice that felt like a very good end for him going from this cowardly like cowarding character to just becoming yeah. brave at the ending um and van even has like a nice conclusion but i'm kind of just left with like a question mark because feels like sequel set up a little bit but you know we'll get into that a little bit later um and then mm-hmm. guzman has kind of a nice little finish but yeah i is- think guzman is one of the more interesting characters to me because like i think it was an interesting thing that they were exploring with him like his introduction in, into the movie that oh yeah how would like the outside world react to zombies and they're like yeah oh yeah some asshole influencer would go into that and tr- and market off of them just going in and popping caps at zombies. I think it was interesting that like Snyder thought of like this weird little detail and like essentially made what is the equivalent of a Paul brother be a character in the movie. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's did that, that that is definitely what it felt like to me. Except um, you know. Uh, Guzman is actually likable. Yeah, yeah unlike the Paul brothers. Uh, yeah, June six, can't wait. Um, but for the <laughs> most part, I'm rather, I'm rather intrigued because, like I said, Zack Snyder's a very good ideas guy, and it's very well thought out. Uh, just the writing department is always the biggest sketch for me. Now, let's get into King Zombie, Queen Zombie, and kind of his little plot line. So, Ooh, I've uh, been waiting for this. Okay, so. Um, King Zombie has a Queen Zombie. Queen Zombie 
comes and basically demands like a trade like give us a human life and we'll let you go wherever you want throughout the zone just don't go into certain areas that are ours basically so they sacrifice this really douchey cop character at the beginning and he gets dragged off and taken to the king zombie and the king zombie just kind of you know like intimidates him a little bit bites him then a bunch of other zombies start biting parts uh, parts of him and i was like wait is this man gonna die question mark like get torn apart and eaten but then he'll come back later as a zombie and it looks like he only still has the one bite mark so i was very confused um but for the most part he does that queen goes back out to see martin and martin has a trapper gun and he ends up trapping the queen and martin gets in a tussle with like her little royal security guard and after the security guard is dismissed by lily he goes over and severs the head and she lets out her death cry which then sends the king out looking for her the king finds the body carries it back uh and i don't really know how to describe this part because it was a little odd but he essentially pulls out a fetus let's just say that and i what were they implying it was like basically they could procreate as zombies yeah that's what i thought it was okay and then like it changed colors and i was like what the hell am i watching i'm not doing drugs i'm not doing drugs i'm serious i was like there's i'm not doing drugs this just happened and so i was watching it change colors and then it looked like it took like a baby zombie-ish color form and then it roars gets mad and goes to hunt down the rest of them, putting on like his little Batman cow mask and riding his zombie horse, goes out, starts murdering people in an act of revenge, ends up going to the roof where Lily has the head of his queen, and his first instinct is let's throw a spear into her, right? In which she can easily just prop her hand over and drop the head off the building. Then she goes to bite Lily, he hops in the chopper, gets in a tussle with Dave Batista, and then gets shot with one magical bullet that splits his head in two, and blue mist shoots out of that also. Again, I wasn't doing drugs in this part, I swear. It's just what happens in the movie. But that is the the, the King Zombie storyline. Now, what do I think of it? I think it's, like, kind of the equivalent of Godzilla vs. Kong, where it's like, here is your dumb movie, like, you know, here's what you came to see was the zombies. What are the zombies doing? Well zombie was gonna have a baby i guess and then that didn't happen and you know it's a creative choice maybe there's some symbolism there i don't get is is, is there like a, a pro-life message in it i don't know see that's the thing it's the most awkward part of the movie to me i don't know about you but it you mean just the baby felt... zombie part yes it was the most awkward scene for me i don't know why maybe because of how it was presented but just Oh, there's something off about it. Oh man, if you think the baby zombie is confusing, wait until we talk about the robot zombies. Oh yes. Um <laughs> oh. so yeah, um I wanna like before we talk about this section, uh full disclosure that I do I really like dislike a lot of zombie media. I I think that zombies are pretty nonsensical to me. Like if this is an infection like why that needs spread by biting hosts then why do so many zombies just like completely devour things that they're eating it's like why like one of the few types of uh zombies that really work for me is something like uh the zombies from the last of us where they're inspired by like those fungal parasites that uh oh yeah, yeah, yeah. are a problem with insects and so what was interesting for this movie is that Zack Snyder got me to like 
the zombies in this movie. Like, I think what they really reminded me of is the zombies from I Am Legend. Like, not the, um, not not the movie necessarily, but like the book, where essentially, oh. um, like the book. From what I know of the book, it's a whole lot more different than the, what the movie ended up being. Where essentially, like throughout the course of the book, you discover that. Like there's the zombies, but there's also a sub race of the zombies that are more intelligent and have like started to create their own society. And um, it was interesting to see like at the start of the movie, you kind of think that yeah, um, this is the zombies are kind of just going to be like these dumb shamblers. Like you know, at least it's not the running zombies that like how he has in Dawn of the in his version of Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. But the movie like. Like completely caught me by surprise when they go into the city and like the zombies start are more intelligent. Like when we first saw like those zombies that only get reactivated by the rain, I thought that like oh shit, like the more advanced zombies like killed every normal zombie in the city and just like piled their corpses at the front yeah. of like line. But, like that wasn't the case, but it was interesting that like. The main villains of the movie, like, are more intelligent zombies. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And so, um, it was interesting because, like, Snyder's villains in a lot of his movies don't tend to have like a logic that you can follow. Like, usually they're just there to be the bad guy. Like, he others them a lot by like making them be like fascists or like have no face or being aliens or zombies and stuff like that. Like, really simple. What? but really effective ways to make them be villainous. But like, it feels like he's actively going against that because to me, like the King zombie that is apparently called Zeus, even though like his name is never mentioned because I guess this is a early 2000s movie where half the characters aren't, don't even have names that get said on screen. Yep. Um, but like, um, I honestly, Zeus was an interesting character because, like, he reminds me of, like, the only two Snyder villains that have any kind of, like, emotional core to them, and that would be, like, Zod and his version of Steppenwolf, where, Mm -hmm. like, Zeus is pretty much just, like, going through the exact opposite arc of Dave Bautista, where, like, he has everything. He has, like, you know, he has his zombie wife and his zombie child because the zombies can procreate. Like, I don't think that uh, the queen was, like, pregnant when she died. I think, like, he goes hard into, like, yeah, the zombies are their own life form. They aren't just dumb monsters. It's why, like, it was weird. I thought that the movie was implying that that other zombie that um, the queen was with was, like, their first kid or something like that. Yeah. It's like the movie isn't that clear on when, like, the infection actually starts, but they make it seem that, like, Las Vegas has been full of zombies for a long time, like, since the 90s at least, or something like that. Yeah, it's it's an odd choice. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because, like, you know, they have Zeus going through the arc where, like, he, like, loses his wife, and then, you know, uh, his zombie son dies, and so he goes on this revenge quest against the humans. And, like, you, I mean, you kind of do feel, like, some level of sympathy for him, even though he, like, he isn't able to die. And it's interesting, because, like, 
I honestly thought that he was like the zombie that we saw at the beginning of the movie, like that the military is transporting around in that really good opening scene. Yeah. Because so like he adapts to like the humans, you know, he like carries that staff around for like a scene where he's like has all the dog tags of the soldiers he's killed. Like he wears that helmet later on because he knows that humans go for the head. So yeah. if he protects that one spot, they're basically fucked. Yeah, yeah. Like it was interesting to have like this more intelligent zombie villain. And like yeah. I did feel kind of a little sad that he eventually ended up dying. He ended up getting his head split in two and yeah, blue and dust that, came out. Yeah, and that um he like he failed to like uh save his queen because like you kind of feel that like if he was a bit more intelligent about how he dealt with the humans like how his queen was like you know he would have been able to rescue her and like i don't know he could have stapled her head back onto her body or something <laughs> could have stitched it back together done a sewing job but yeah, yeah yeah so i'll let you touch on the robot zombies as well because um... yeah so that confused the fuck out of me because like i thought that like since you know when they're into the when they're trying to escape the casino and they're fighting like a lot of the alphas like i thought what i thought that was is because like if i remember correctly when they fought all those hibernating zombies they just had the stereotypical like blood like you know oh it's red but then like i noticed like when they were killing alphas a lot of them had like this blue blood Mm-hmm. Like, you know, how, like, the baby changes colors when it dies. Yeah. Like, I thought that, like, the reason why that was like that was because, um, you know, they're they're super zombies, so their biology is different and all that good stuff. I know that, like, you know, the wildest explanation for, like, why they could have been like that is, you know, the two soldiers who are talking about, like, what they could possibly be transporting like where they almost say that like maybe they're transporting an alien from area 51 before going back to being like oh we're transporting the holy grail and stuff like that it's like that was the wildest explanation that i could think of like the zombie virus is like some sort of alien pathogen but i think the explanation is that the military just made a zombie because why the fuck not and so like i i think what snyder's explanation for it was is that Yes, they're robots. You didn't see that wrong. They are like Terminators. And apparently that's something he's going to be that they're going to be exploring in that animated series. So now I'm really interested in checking uh, some of these spinoffs out. It seems like he's going to be developing this whole little world into its own little franchise type thing. And I think that would be cool to follow. Yeah, um, and it feels like if this is kind of the rabbit hole he wants to go down after, you know, he's basically told, no, Snyderverse is not continuing, I'm fine with that. This is like his new little sandbox to play in. Um, But I guess I'll now get into, like, the tonal shift for me, like, towards the third act with this movie, because, like I said, it had a mostly, like, fun, kind of that darkly fun tone to it, but then it just, like, has this Zack Snyder problem of where it gets so dark. So, like, characters start dying left and right. Like, Lily gets the spear through her, and it's all, like, dreary. Like, how are we going to get out of here? The zombie is on the flight. It bites Dave Batista. 
uh, he ends up accidentally shooting uh, his pilot friend in the shoulder and they end up dipping a little bit and then they just end up crashing outside after the zombie is killed and it has like this moment where the daughter and Dave Bautista are having a heart to heart and then he turns and she shoots him in the head and she falls to her knees and starts crying as the military comes in I'm like wow this is dark and dreary for a movie that felt like it was going to have like a more upbeat kind of fun ending to it even if like not all the characters got out alive but it, it was such a weird drastic tonal shift and I get it because there's supposed to be a lot of emotional resonance, which I already talked about why I don't buy the emotional significance of like Dave Bautista and his daughter's growth. So that just felt kind of weird to me that it took like this weird shift to just being completely dark at the ending because when Van even showed up, I was like, okay, here's maybe our more comedic ending. Let's see what Van does with his money. But no, it also ends on a very dark note of where Van can barely stand. He's super sick. He has all this money. Then he goes in, checks the bite mark on him. And he's basically like, what am I going to do? And it just cuts off there. I'm like, Zach, I love you. Don't get me wrong. But this felt very Man of Steel-esque where it was like, why in the hell is this so dark? Yeah. Um, I think uh, I think it's mainly like in the ending of the movie where like I enjoyed the movie, but like the ending is where it started to fall apart. Like I think one thing that none of us have mentioned is like the reason why um, – Dave Batista's daughter goes in with him is because she's trying to save a f- someone she knows from the camp of people who were displaced when the zombie plague broke out. And yeah. she's trying to go to Vegas to get money to help get her kids out. But she gets captured by the zombies who like capture humans that go into the city and then like slowly turn them all into alphas, which was an interesting detail. But like after like Gita gets on the plane and then Zeus, the like zombie king, comes in to fight them, like and then the the, the helicopter car crashes, but like you never see Gita again after that fight starts. Like even though like you know they clearly showed that like the pilot lady is dead, but like Gita has just vanished from the movie, never to be seen again. Yeah, that was odd to me. That she's yeah. just like gone. I was like, wait, what happened to her? Question mark. Yeah, and then like, I was also kind of like sitting in the movie, just like wondering like, where the where the fuck did Vandero go? Like, I don't think they did a good. I don't think Snyder really did a good job giving a satisfying ending to that character. I think that Vandero, like a lot of like um, Dave Batista's old gang. They didn't really have that much of a chance to really shine in the movie. Like, you know, they established that Vandero has that saw, but we never get to see him, like, actually use it. I think yeah. uh, Lily uses it more than he does in the movie. Very when true. When she's uh, cutting that wall open. Like, that mechanic lady, I think you said her name was Maria. Yeah. Like, we, we don't really see that much of her before uh, the twist happens in the movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um... And then like Vandero, like I don't even I don't know when he got bitten, and like Wikipedia doesn't know either. Like, is it when the the zombie Zeus is picking him up and throwing him around? Did we miss a bite mark, or was it like, possibly I, like see, you know? I thought that like you know that scene confused me. Like I don't know if like they were trying to if they were trying to imply that like Zeus bit him. But like what I think it must have been was like he didn't get bitten by a alpha 
because I think I don't know if it's just because of plot or whatever, but I think it the, sh- the movie implies. I'm not sure about this though that um, the alpha the bites from the alphas take less time to go into effect because you know they're better, but like yeah. the bites from like the weaker types of zombies take a lot longer to uh, affect the human body. That could just be entirely convenience of a plot based. But like it might explain why it took so long for uh Vanderode to notice that he was turning into a zombie. Yeah. But it yeah. was just it was just a weird ending to his character. I kind of I would have preferred like if he got out with all the money and just flew to Mexico and he was the only character that lived out his days in happiness. Like it would have been like a weird ending to the film. But you know, that's the ending we got. I do think it was a better ambiguous ending than the, what we got with Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, where yeah, it's pretty much like yeah, hit all the everyone is dead in that ending. But like yeah. in um Van, in the ending for this movie, like you aren't sure what's going to be happening next. Like that's yeah, actually, I agree with that. You don't know what is going to happen next. I do like it did kind of make me grimace because like you know they have the allegory in the movie of like the government using uh the virus as a way to get rid of people that they don't like like um i think they're mainly uh taking a dig at trump in that movie though um the president is ambiguously stupid enough that you could probably slot him or biden into it though like a lot of stuff with like the camp guard like abusing his power and like then mentioning that people who are considered social deviants being uh taken away because oh maybe they have the disease it's either like an attempted commentary at like immigration or covid-19 or something like that is why i kind of grimaced that like at the end he they were going into mexico just like oh boy Snyder, yeah. why do you keep opening these cans of political worms in your movies? I also think that it, the, the when you talked about the presidential thing, it was like the newscast was out because they're like, oh, well, we weren't going to put it on the 4th of July because the president was like, yeah, that'd be dope and stuff, but like the humanitarians would get mad at me, so we're just going to move it up a full 24 hours. After like he read it off as like, oh, we're just not going to do it now on the 4th of July because it's been moved up a little bit. And I was like, oh, okay. And I don't know because I Zack Snyder did recently come out about the whole like we do not like support geeks and gamers and stuff and he like yeah. talked about all that. So maybe it's a little bit of a dig at like certain side of the political spectrum, but maybe you're right. You could just be like he's doing a middle ground thing where like you could assess it is like a Trump or Biden connection a little bit. Yeah. Which if that's what he wants to do, that's perfectly fine because you know, I prefer a guy that's like I'm going to keep this ambiguous a little bit. I wonder who I'm shitting on currently because um, <laughs> that that's just something I feel like Zach can do because, you know, people like him a lot after the Snyder cut. They're starting to get back into Zack Snyder a little bit. So good for Zach yeah. to just kind of do what he wants now. I do think it's interesting that he recently came out and said that he is a liberal because like if you watch a lot of his earlier work, you would not get that impression no, at all yeah i do i appreciate that like now that he's using his viewer base as like a lot more positive thing i know that like 
uh, he's gone a lot into uh, supporting suicide prevention after the stuff that happened with his daughter. He's like disavowed a lot of the more toxic elements of his fan base. You know, it kind of makes me uh, hopeful that like, you know, he's starting to grow as a filmmaker and, you know, he will like his movies are going to like start getting better and better. Like not as a way to disparage him, if you know what I mean, but like just yeah. that he's starting to get out of that like edgelord phase that he was in when he first started making movies. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, but yeah, for the most part, um, I can't think of much more I want to talk about with this movie. Do you have anything you want to touch on still? Mm, I'm trying to think. Like yeah. I did, I did think this movie had a really solid opening. I think it did a really good job uh, setting up the world and the tone. Like, yeah, oh yeah, like <laughs> the like goofy antics with like the military and then like the couple that like are the inciting incident. I kind of like if I had like like my main nitpick for the movie. Like I've said what some of my legitimate complaints of this movie are. I think the one nitpick with this movie. Is that we didn't really get a lot of crazy Vegas zombies. Like no. you have this premise where, um, you know, like it, ta- it the backstage of this is Las Vegas, but like for a lot of it, the most we see is like this kind of like just generic bombed out city, which makes sense because like the opening showcases like the military just going full ham on Las Vegas, but like we don't really get that many. V- of uh, crazy Vegas zombies like the closest we get after the opening is the queen who I think they imply to be like a showgirl from like mm-hmm. her outfit and of course uh, the zombie tiger but yeah. like not really anything else I still think that the craziest zombie in the movie is um, the Elvis zombie from like the very beginning who is in the movie for like five seconds before he gets crushed by the Eiffel Tower yeah that yeah so for my nitpick i guess it would be the uh depth of field shots in this movie um i noticed Zack snyder likes depth of field shots i don't know if you picked <laughs> up on that um i'm not a fan of when your movie has too many of those oh my god i get it depth of field looks cool sometimes but when you have it for nearly every frame in your movie and you also have like pixels that are very noticeable <laughs> it's like come on zach um I didn't want to touch on the beginning here is it's just like this little goof. So you know how like the mother and daughter got crushed by those uh, uh, freighter like thingies, those freight loaders when they're like building the last of the wall? Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I laughed out loud because it was a little goofy for me that they got crushed by that. And I then, think it was hilarious that that happened. And like, there was no blood and gore on the bottom whatsoever. Yeah, bro- they just got I'm, neatly crushed. My brother walked in. He's like, no way they just did that. I was like, oh, yeah, they did. He's like, rewind it. We just both laughed again at the same time because it's very goofy looking. But uh, I guess that's all of the things I want to get out of the way for this. Um, yeah. Army of the Dead. So, yeah, I still think this is mostly okay. Like I said, okay for me. Maybe a little forgettable. I don't know how much I remember this movie towards the end of the year. Um, Like I said, I feel like this is a fun premise. It's got uh, fun actors and fun roles. Um, I think mostly once it gets towards the third act is where it loses steam for me a little bit. There's some questionable choices in the character writing for me and some of the motivations. Um, But for the most part, 
I think I'm going to give Army of the Dead one above the Snyder Cut, which was like a 5 out of 10. Um, so, Dalton, I guess your quick like little wrap-up thoughts on Army of the Dead. Yeah, um, I think it was a really good, fun movie. Uh, I do think like what you said was a bit correct about how like it kind of lost focus of the tone a little closer to the end. It got a little more darker. It kind of lost the balance of like fun dark and then just dark dark um yeah i think i can understand where you're coming from with like some of the character stuff not being that good but like with a cast this large i think it's kind of understandable as to why some aren't as fleshed out as others especially Mm -hmm. since this is supposed to be the start of like a whole series some i don't know maybe some of the secondary material might flesh this out a little more yeah as to where i would place this I'm not sure because I think I would like considering all the other Snyder movies that I had to, to that I watched for that video. I think I would probably put it like really close to the top. For me, like I would could it would be contested with like the Snyder cut. Oh, okay. Um, like I think like beneath that you would have 300, and then like a lot of his other movies. Um, and like at the bottom would be uh, Sucker Punch or like Joss Whedon's uh, Justice League if you wanted to count that. Yeah. As for the score, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I would rate it. Like I'm thinking like, like I really enjoyed the movie. Like a lot of the problems that I had with it were nitpicks though. Like starting to think about it. Yeah, there were some more legitimate problems with it. I think I would give it like an eight or like an 8.5 or something like that maybe okay well you won't have to decide till your snyder video so you got plenty of time to sit yeah. on yeah um i don't think i'll be giving readings for those movies like oh not even guardians of the owl people or whatever yeah, the owl movie was actually one of my favorite ones oh my god i don't know if that's because like sucker punch was so bad that it just threw off my entire taste for the rest of the video that. Maybe you're maybe you're just into owls now. You never know. Maybe started owls up your are owl. fun though. They are. Oh, but for the most part, that concludes our talk on the Snyder Cut, Dalton. Oh wait, this is the <laughs> Snyder Cut. This concludes our talk on Army of the Dead, the Snyder Cut edition. But anyways, uh, thank you for coming back, Dalton. Very much looking forward to your Zack Snyder video. Uh, maybe I'll see you down the road because we have talked about other movies we wanted to talk yeah. about, like The Green Knight that's coming out in July, but it's only in theaters, so... Both of us will have to take a risk to see it in theaters. Hopefully Um, I'll be vaccinated by then. mm -hmm. And um, yeah, for the most part, I'll see you down the road again. Hopefully we can talk about more movies and stuff. But thank you for coming on. You got any final thoughts before we go? Yeah. um, No, not really. Um, Just like um, I'll make sure to uh, plug this video at the very end of the Snyder video if people want me to talk about this movie in greater depth okay um, well, it's always fun coming on your podcast um and i hope to, that i'll be able to get in quick enough that we can uh, both talk about the green night together oh yeah for sure well thank you guys for listening to this edition of hayden's entertainment hour we shall see you next time with a quiet place part two a quiet place part two this will be the spoiler-free section. I may talk about spoilers a little bit at the ending, but I'll warn you guys before I do. So, A Quiet Place Part 2. 
Well, did this movie subvert my expectations? Is it the best movie I've seen this year? Well, no, but still good. Like, honestly, I gotta say, Quiet Place Part 2 is kind of like the first one for me. I think it's good. It's just good. It's fine. It's passable. Everybody could go out and watch it. Um, It's above average. I think John Krasinski is really transitioning into a great director. Um, But I just think it's a fine, good movie. It's not groundbreaking because this whole concept of like suspenseful monsters that like you can't make a noise around and stuff is nothing really new in fact it's kind of been done multiple times before the only difference with this movie series is that the monsters are completely made of ears and cochlea basically so yeah that's like the only big difference spin that they have on like a series of movie or that they have on a genre of movies like this basically so um a quiet place part two basically picks up right where the first one left off The Abbott family needs to figure out if there are other survivors in the world that can help them, but as the movie goes on, they slowly discover that some survivors out there are not worth saving. So, what do I think of A Quiet Place Part 2? Because I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, because I don't really have a lot to say, because like I said, it's just a fine good movie. I gotta say, performance-wise in this movie, Melissa Simmons really stands out. Um, the actress is not only deaf in real life, but is also playing a deaf character in the movie, um, and a lot of her acting in the movie is obviously emotional acting, it's all through facial expressions and sign language, and if you don't get an actress that can do either of those really well in that type of character role, then your movie's gonna fall flat. But because they picked Millicent Simmons, who is actually deaf in real life and actually has taken, like, great acting courses and has really shown that she is a terrific actress, you really do feel immersed into her character and her journey and you do root for her because all of her frustrations and motivations are conveyed through her facial expressions. So when she sets out on her quest, she has a very determined look on her face. When people are disagreeing with her on what she needs to do in order to do the right thing, you can tell that through her actions and the way that she does sign language that she is very easily angered about things. But most importantly, it's the grit and, and, and determination that she brings over from John Krasinski's character that makes it feel like she is actually the daughter of his and is set out on her quest to do the right thing and figure out how to use this frequency to stop the monsters. I feel like this is something that really you don't see in movies nowadays is when it takes like a child from the original movie and makes them almost the main lead of the sequel. And I feel like maybe that's going to be what happens going forward is maybe the rest of the movies are going to be like that. Like, for example, if part one is mostly about Emily Blunt, you could argue. And yes, the kids are in it and it is a little bit about the kids. Then you could also argue that part two is a little bit more about Melissa Simmons. And then maybe part three will be about the son in the movie. But who knows? I don't know how the trilogy is going to play out, but that's just kind of how I feel about this. But Melissa Simmons does a phenomenal job. She really does feel like the daughter of John Krasinski in the movie, having that grit and determination to do the right thing. And her emotional acting is really, really good in the movie also. Emily Blunt is also doing a phenomenal job in the movie. I feel like after everything that she's gone through in the first movie, it does make sense that she's a little more weary to let her kids go out and save the day and have them always be put in the brunt of danger because no mother wants to see their son get viciously mauled by a bunch of monsters. So she's always trying to basically baby them, tell them that she'll take care of everything, but she does slowly realize in the movie and as it progresses that her kids can fend for themselves and do the right thing to protect the family and that she always doesn't have to be the one to save them them, even though she can still kick ass and take names with these monsters any day. 
I also felt like Cillian Murphy was a fantastic casting choice for this movie. His character is basically surrounded by grief, and he doesn't feel like he's worthy of giving people help or even earning people's help in this movie, which is why his little arc that he goes through about, you know, going through grief and accepting loss and basically learning to accept something new in life worth living, uh, it was a nice arc, and it does feel like his character does grow in the movie as it progresses, and I thought that was a nice little arc. Honestly, it was good for him. Now, besides performances, do I think this movie builds suspense really well? Oh yeah, it got me multiple times in the movie theater. And I will admit, I'm somebody that usually knows when jump scares are going to happen in a movie. Like, a majority of this movie, I could tell when a jump scare was going to happen, but there were a few good ones that got me in this one. Like, maybe two to three that got me in this movie. But it does do a very good job with the whole suspense building in the movie, mostly because of the terrific sound mixing and sound editing in the movie. Because, again, the way that it transitions from telling you, like, here's the perspective of it... Oh, I apologize for that. I'm a little sick. Um, But the way it transitions from it going from like, here's the perspective of people that can hear in the universe and they're hearing all these loud noises and the monster screeches to Melissa Simmons that can't hear is deaf. And basically we have to hear everything through almost like silent vibrations that you can somewhat subtly hear in the movie or just the way that she's looking around and you don't hear like the blood curdling screams of people running is a really good sound mixing transition choice in the movie. And it does build suspense well because Melissa Simmons can't hear the monster sneak up on her. And so obviously you're like, oh my goodness, she's going to get killed she can't hear him sneaking up on her and at the same time when you look at it through the perspective like emily blunt or her son you are obviously on the edge of your seat because you can hear the monster clawing and screeching and it wants a piece of both of them and so obviously that transitional affecting from this movie really makes the suspense work well also i gotta say the cinematography and transitioning in this movie phenomenal huge upgrade from the first movie and i gotta say a lot of this movie's camera work is following characters it's not quick cuts the camera actually follows them down like a hall like a not a hallway an alleyway or follows them down like a hallway of a building or it follows them as they're on their small little journey to get past the monster basically the camera is not constantly quick cutting around to different sequences it sits there it tracks the characters on a dolly cart and it works really really well and the transitioning in this movie is great like a character will walk like walk by a wall and then it'll transition into the next scene or for example one of my favorites is when it's in the prequel part of the movie and two characters walk by a certain part of a building then it transitions into the later half of the movie at the ending of the first movie and it just looks so phenomenally well that i was blown away by how the movie did this like it felt like john krasinski did his homework uh, to make the transitioning feel like it stylistically kind of fit the movie a little bit more another thing i gotta uh, give the movie credit for is that it does a lot more world building i feel like one thing that a lot of movies like to do is more world building and it felt like this one did a good job kind of showing that there are scumbags in the world that obviously do not care about human lives and i won't go into spoilers much on this but it does show a lot of that really well it also kind of shows how the monsters have new uh like weaknesses a little bit or how they have new ways of tracking people in the universe using sound and stuff basically it builds more on the monsters it builds more on their weaknesses it just builds more on the universe in a way it also does show other survivors in the universe it also talks about different ways that people have learned to survive in this universe traps that they set up and stuff basically it does a lot more world building and that really works for a movie like this Finally, I will say the ending of this movie was pretty much satisfying. I would say it's not like as emotionally hard hitting as the first, 
but I feel like it doesn't have to be in a way. I feel like the way that it ends does make sense, and it does kind of service, like, really well as to what it's kind of leading towards, but basically, I would say, yeah, this movie does work really, really well in its ending. Now, I gotta get into some complaints a little bit, and I'm gonna try to be as spoiler-free as I can. So my biggest complaint that I gotta say all around, and one that some people may or may not agree on, is the fact that I just feel like the theme of grief is a little overdone. And I'm sorry to say that, because I know that grief is, like, a very big, like, theme that people like to do in most movies, but just the theme of grief in this movie and the way that it's set up and kind of formulated just kind of feels like it is so played and overdone. Because when it's set up in Cillian Murphy's character, when it's set up in the family, and I know where it's going already by the time the movie has ended, it's just not great. It felt like John Krasinski was really good at, like, setting up the universe and the characters and the world building, but when it came to themes in his movies, much like the first... It feels like he's just kind of going for the most generic way to get a theme across. And I don't really like that because when obviously uh, Cillian Murphy is sitting down and he's talking to Melissa Simmons, he's talking about how he's learning to forgive himself and about how he can't be the uh, great person that he thought he was but can do better. It literally just kind of felt like the nail was being nailed onto your head like, oh, this is about grief and how he's accepted loss and stuff. And basically... I'm so tired of stuff like that in these movies. I just want it to be somewhat shaped up or the theme to kind of be rewritten in a way that I'm not expecting because this just felt like the most formulaic way to do the theme of grief. Also, it's going to be a nitpick, much like the original movie, but this movie does portray a lot of its in-universe rules that it set up in the first. So, for example, you know how the family had to basically wear uh, no shoes in the original because they said shoes make a ton of noise? What if I told you Cillian Murphy's character is wearing boots and he walks on crunchy leaves, hard rocks, and creaky docks, and also pavement? And boots are relatively loud shoes and make a ton of noise when you're walking and stuff like stones and leaves. Those monsters would he- uh, hear Cillian Murphy and kill him from a mile away. It was a huge nitpick. Also, there are several times throughout the movie where they say the monsters can basically hear the most minute of sounds. Well, guess what? Emily Blunt is breathing really loudly, or she'll bang something that is relatively close to them, and the monster will act like it didn't hear it, or the kid is, like, moving around and talking a little bit, or just, like, there are subtle little things where they will make a noise the monster definitely can hear, but then the monster conveniently in the movie cannot hear it. Also, there are other stuff in the universe that it kind of betrays, like, for example, they set up in the first... (laughs) And this one is going to be the biggest nitpick, I know. But they set up in the first movie, basically, that once the monsters hear the frequency, they can die in basically multiple shots. But if you get the one shot in the face, like, it will be dead on impact. In this movie, the monsters die multiple times from one shot. And it kind of bugs me, because it does feel like, hey, not everyone is an expert marksman, yet they kind of make everyone in the movie an expert marksman. And I kind of hate that. Because... I don't feel like everybody should be a perfect crack shot. I get it, they're in the, uh, in the apocalypse, but it is an apocalypse where you have to be quiet. So when the hell would they have ever practiced target practice? I'm just saying, it doesn't make any sense. But um, another thing I feel like the movie wasn't really great at is the fact that it had two plot lines going for it this time around. And let me explain that a little bit because the first one's plot line is basically all about the family. It's all about the family, how they're surviving on this farm and the three monsters that are hunting them. This one has an A plot and a B plot. And I cannot get into either of the plots because it would kind of spoil it a little bit, but I'll get into it later. But the B plot is kind of extremely underwhelming and underwritten compared to the A plot, and I wish the movie was just more of the A plot than the B plot. 
I'm just saying. I wish that the whole movie was the A plot, because that was the more interesting plot than the B plot that we had going on in the movie. But for the most part, I would say this is a pretty good little movie. Like I said, 7 out of 10. think it's fine. think it's a relatively good sequel to the first. Spoilers ahead, because I need to get into what I mean about the last complaint that I just had. So, spoilers ahead. Please click off the podcast. I give it a 7 out of 10. But if you've seen the movie, stick around. All right, so what I mean by that is the A-plot of the movie is obviously Melissa Simmons and Cillian Murphy are going to find the radio tower that's playing Beyond the Sea because once they get to that radio tower in the movie, obviously, they go in there, they play the frequency on the radio tower, and as it's being broadcasted, that is how the son in the movie is able to play it on basically their little, it was like stereo thingy, and he's able to hold it up against the monster that's trying to kill him and his mom, and he walks out there, takes the gun and shoots him, and then obviously the frequency messes around with the monster that's in the recording studio, and that's how Melissa Simmons picks up the rhubarb and stabs him with it, and bada bing, bada boom, basically, that's how they defeat the monsters in the end. But the A plot of the movie is mostly Melissa Simmons and Cillian Murphy. The B plot is about the sun and Emily Blunt and how Emily Blunt has gone out to get supplies and the son has to stay in there with his brother and the two of them get locked in that little thing and they have to survive off limited oxygen and Emily Blunt has to figure out how to get in there but it's just kind of like the most underwhelming plot line because I figured both of them were gonna live I figured there's no way they would kill either of them off and every suspenseful scene with them just felt kind of pointless because I knew it was building towards the two of them being fine and this big resolution in the finale where the kid would face his fears and take on the monster. And it just kind of felt like the most underwhelming and kind of just most boring part of the movie compared to the A-plot with Melissa Simmons and Cillian Murphy where I wasn't sure if Cillian Murphy's character was going to survive or even if Melissa Simmons was going to get to the radio tower in the end. I wasn't sure. And that's kind of why I thought that that plot line should have been like the overwhelming plot of the movie because I would have been fine if it brushed aside the kid and Emily Blunt in this movie and focus more on Melissa Simmons and Cillian Murphy being the father figure in her life that, you know, Lee obviously was, but him filling that void for Lee, obviously. I would have been perfectly fine with that, but instead we have to include Emily Blunt and the kid because audiences want to know what's happening to them, and I get that, but I just really would have preferred if the A-plot was more overwhelming overtaken. But I gotta admit, I do think that it's awesome that it's setting up a sequel, I think that's going to be awesome where it looks like now that they know how to use the frequency to take out the other monsters, maybe they'll be able to radio to other colonies or other survivors and stuff and tell them how to use the earpiece or like the frequency and stuff to take out the monsters. And then maybe the third one will be the climax about how there's like a war in which they take them all out. I don't know. We'll have to see what happens moving forward. But um, I feel like it had a pretty good ending. It's going to set up multiple doors open for hopefully the third and final movie because I don't want this to be like a... I don't know, saga of A Quiet Place movies. I'm perfectly fine with this being a trilogy and that being that. But anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening to my review of A Quiet Place 2. I will see you guys next time. Not sure what movie I'm going to talk about next with somebody, but we'll see you next time.